We are gonna die out here. Someone will find us soon. We're lost, we're out of food and water, and our phones are dead. Well, I've got 5% left, but I'm saving it for wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club. Are you kidding me? No, it's their three-day event where you save up to 65% on appliances, tech, furniture, and outdoor products. But I should probably call for help. Wait, do they have air fryers? Save up to 65% during wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club July 10th through the 12th. Visit bj's.com slash wowdays for details. BJ's, absurdly simple savings. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom and this week we have one of our growing list of returning guests. Uh, this is Robert Bito and you may remember him from uh, Unexplained Mexico which is the name of his show. Uh, so you should definitely give that a check out and hopefully a follow us, subscribe and like and share and all that other wonderful stuff. He's also authored several books, one of which we're definitely not talking about today because it's about business. Boring. Uh, no, today we're going to talk about fun stuff. So Robert is an expert. He's a cataloger, a chronologer, a data accumulator, a researcher on all things paranormal in Mexico. So you want to hear about ancient cultures and and you know, ghosts and UFOs and, and thing, all things Mexico. So that's sort of what we did with the last show, which I cleverly called Unexplained Mexico, Mexico Unexplained. Um, and we sort of sort of hit the gamut and we gave each topic, you know, some attention. And today we're, we're going to start focusing in on some things. And those things are going to be monsters and giants. So we're really going Garden of Doom here. So monsters and giants in Mexico. So without further ado, I first want to Welcome, Robert, back into the show. Thank you for being back. Robert, reintroduce yourselves to the people or to the, the new listeners. Uh, introduce yourself. 
Well, thanks for having me once again, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Um, as you said, my name is Robert Biddo, and I've authored a, a couple books on Mexico. I've had a lot of experience down there. I'm a kind of run-of-the-mill gringo, but I've I've run a, an imports business for almost 25 years now where I get to go down there and buy the goods and take them back to the United States. And over the course of my travels throughout Mexico, I've learned a lot about the paranormal, about legends, about uh, various mysteries, ancient history that people might not have heard of before. And I haven't really seen much of it out on the internet in English. So that's when I started my my YouTube channel, Mexico Unexplained, about seven and a half years ago. And I'm up to show number 352. I just dropped that about 45 minutes before coming on to speak with you here. And it seems like there is a never-ending source of material for my show. So I'm going to keep doing it with a weekly show as long as I'm, you know, I find it interesting because the material seems endless. And a lot of the material never leaves the country of Mexico or even the region where you hear some of this stuff. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. I'll let you guide me on where you want to go. I think I think that's right. Yeah. Well, well, here at the Garden of Doom, we are importers. We actually have licenses to import all sorts of information from everywhere because we don't answer to the laws of man. Here, we we have uh, we answer to higher powers. Uh, we you know the whole the whole council. They're all on board. Um, and this month, Cthulhu gave me tentacles up. So uh, where are we going to start? Um, let's start with giants. Uh, because as you know, and as most of the audience knows, I am, I've been affiliated with the Nephilim Anthropology Conference and Nephilim is, is off, often considered synonymous with giants to, uh, you know, to certain sectors. Others think it's demonic. Others think it's a combination of the two or something else entirely. But, you know, so we'll talk about giants because it sort of lends itself to, to what I just said, which was marketing for the conference. So you buy tickets to either go to the conference in, in the, in, uh, Scotland, or you can buy a virtual ticket, uh, and even hear from me, but also actually subject matter experts as well, mostly subject matter experts. Um, so yeah, let's, what do we, what do we got giant wise? And I don't, you know, you can organize it however you think is easiest, whether it's by geography, whether it's by, you know, oldest to newest, newest to oldest, uh, you know, Aztec versus Maya, whatever. I, you know, you, you, you're the, you're the tour guide here. Okay. Well, we can go by, well, geography and chronology. Excellent. In central Mexico, there are legends of giants going back thousands of years. And the whole idea of giants built the pyramids is not something that's new age or new. It's something that has been around for quite some time. In fact, the Aztecs believe that some of the ruined cities that they came upon when they first entered central Mexico, they believe that some of those ruined cities were actually made by giants. So there is a mythology there 
And throughout a lot of these cultures in ancient Mexico, they have they have myths about races of giants or individual giants who came on the scene. And, um, you know, kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of parallel we can make in our culture, but, you know, a mythical giant who has a name and has different characteristics versus a race of giants. Paul Bunyan. Now, if you... If you take the chronology all the way to colonial times, you had people from Europe coming to central Mexico starting in the 1520s and starting farming. Once the Aztec Empire collapsed in the early 1520s and most of central Mexico was under the control of the Spanish, you had people coming from Europe and setting up towns and farms and ranches and things. And in the 1540s and 1550s, there were quite a few reports of giant bones being found. And the King of Spain was actually interested in, in these bones. And some of them were shipped to Spain. And um, it's kind of like what we hear about giant bones in other parts of the world, including the United States. No one knows where they are now, but there was a record of them being discovered, being measured, um, and being crated up and sent to Madrid. So we have, you know, more historical accounts of finding the evidence of giants, and then we have this mythological history or timeline that goes back thousands of years. So there is a lot of material and um, like I said, a lot of individual little legends. A lot of people don't know that there were many different cultures in ancient Mexico and um, varieties and differences within cultures. So um, yeah, there is a tradition there are skeptics, though, that come out and challenge all of this stuff. They say, for example, a counter-argument to giants building the ancient city of Teotihuacan, for example. People will come out and say, well, look at the steps of the pyramids. And the, the width of the steps of all the pyramids in Mexico are made for someone, an adult, who has a size, a men's, a U.S. men's size seven shoe, or okay. six or seven. Like, most Americans would be wearing that kind of footwear when they were 12. Right. And that's because, you know, the people in central Mexico traditionally are shorter stature and smaller. So people will say, well, every staircase to these pyramids, they're all small so how about that and then the counter argument there is well those were put later on these structures those structures have been there for a long time they were constructed by giants and then um regular humans came and built those staircases to suit their needs then okay for the other for the other subject that i talked about the bones being found those bones have been dismissed as being mammoth bones right. or other megafauna bones. But 
Then the counter-argument to that counter-argument is, well, we don't have the bones to look at. So you can't say that they were mammoth bones. So, right. yeah, it's all a big, there's still a lot of mystery connected with all of this. Well, let's go on the assumption that they are all true, or at least we're not on a mission to prove or disprove them. Um, let's start with the different races of giants, and then go into some individual legends. And, uh, you know, looking for a parallel, I don't know if you're, I was thinking like maybe Paul Bunyan might be like an American parallel to a lesser extent, right? Maybe Bigfoot under certain interpretations, but, you know, Finn McCool in Ireland is, is you know, what is that? I know that the in Merlin mythology, you know, or, the, or British uh, Albion the giant, you know, uh, you know, basically formed or or uh, first settled Britain, um, you know. But you know, there there are tons of them. There you've got your, you know, this is not all North American, obviously, but you get into Goliath, uh, you know, and then the the Cyclops, you know, or Cyclopedes, as as uh, my Greek friends will say um but yeah so what what do we have in mexico as far as races of giants i guess the names the characteristics where they lived when they supposedly lived you know uh were, were they uh cannibals or what kind of exciting stuff were they doing well there was a, a a race of giants there were not like different types from as far as i could tell they were just like bigger people um going like 20 feet tall or whatever and so there weren't several races. There was just like the regular people and then the giants. Mm -hmm. And there was, there are some stories and they vary. Like I said, there's not like a, a, a fixed mythology. There was an emperor called Awisot who was before Montezuma II, the, the emperor who encountered the Spanish. Awisot tried to standardize religion and mythology throughout the empire. He had a hard time, but um, there was a the race that built those pyramids. I believe one of the famous people was called Tenoch, who was one of the famous giants. And there was just a group of them, not like thousands and thousands of them, but more like a tribe. So, a small amount of people. And then, okay, so we don't have that much variety, like 10 different races of giants. Like I said, there was only just one from what I can tell. And then if we go to what you were saying about individual types of giants, I'm thinking of one legend called Ishpushteki. And that's one, that's like a Paul Bunyan, right? Mm -hmm. An individual giant from a myth or a legend. And Ishpushteki was from the Nahua-speaking peoples of Central Mexico, the Aztecs, but not all of them believed in this guy. Some of them did, some of them didn't, depended on the, the, the group. And Ishpushteki was this big, like, caveman-type creature. Um, he's depicted looking like this big, lumbering, you know, like a cartoon caveman almost. Right. standing 20 feet tall and he was kind of dumb you know and what what he would do is stumble into fiestas uh, celebrations that the natives would be having or whatever and they all had to treat him very kindly not anger him and he would try to 
dance with the locals and stuff, and he would swing around and accidentally kill people. Right. But they couldn't do anything about it. They had to let him romp around and hurt people and have fun and all this stuff and appease him and make him laugh and give him stuff to eat and drink and hope and pray that he would leave, you know, leave the party. But if you angered him, that would be the end of your village. So um, that's an important legend that I've seen a couple times pop up here and there of of an individual giant who's off on his own doing things. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people about giants over the years and and, and certainly uh, South America. uh, And then, you know, you have the Southwest United States and there's some overlapping stuff there. And depending on who you are and what you're, you know, you may or may not have an agenda, but a lot of times the giants are described as being white, paler skin, a lot of times red or orange hair. That seems to be a popular one. The the giant of Afghanistan, that, that, you know, that's one of the more modern ones. Uh, So they've found skulls with matted orange hair. You have the, the argument that it's just, you know, oxidized or it was red ochre which or orange ochre which was often used in burials and then people say no we know the difference between hair and that i i don't know i'm not a biologist i'm not an archaeologist i'm not an anthropologist i don't know you know you know whoever i listen to if they, they if they make sense they sound like they make sense in the moment are there any such legends like that in mexico described sort of like a uh you know a, a, a white version or a, a darker version that might be, you know, of African descent or Indian descent or when I say Indian, I mean the Indian subcontinent, uh, not First Nations of the Americas, um, you know, or, or some sort of physical characteristic uh, commonality other than just being big, larger, um, you know, or were they just bigger versions of the peoples that were there? Well, You know what, it's interesting that you bring this up because I did a show a few years ago called The White Giants of Tiburon Island. And there's an island in the Gulf of California, also known as the Sea of Cortez, that's an arm of the Pacific Ocean that separates Baja California, two separate states in Mexico with what the Mexicans call themselves the Mexican mainland. So it's the gulf that goes up between Baja and the main part of Mexico. And there is an island there called Tiburon Island, which means shark island in Spanish. And the ancient people there, well, when, when people, modern people made contact with the people living on this island, they had a story to tell about, hey, you weren't the first people to visit us. Now, this story popped up in about the 1700s, late 1700s, early 1800s, when Mexico was starting to expand into that part. Because the northwestern part of Mexico is very desolate and has not many resources. And so it was the last to be settled in that country, last part of the country to be settled. So... And people started arriving there in the late colonial times, and they heard this legend of white giants. And these giants weren't like Ishpushteki, 20 feet tall or whatever. They were more like seven or eight feet tall. 
And so um, these giants who were white, blonde, and red-haired arrived on boats to this island. And because it was passed down orally, there was no written language on Tiburon Island until modern times. No one really knows when this supposed meeting of the white giants with the local people happened. Some people theorize that it could have been a ship as recent as the 1500s that sailed up into the Gulf of California and met these people. But then other anthropologists believe that it could have been the Vikings, because what they described uh, was more like a Viking ship. So like a long that ship. could have been, but going around the Pacific like that, those, you know, the Vikings, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. They could have gone down through the Bering Strait if they sailed through the Arctic Ocean, or they would have to either cross the entire Pacific or skirt around the Horn of uh, of Cape Cape Horn on the bottom of South America to go up north or carry their ships of a journey. Yeah. Or gotten their ships overland across Russia, which I believe has mountains and something called the Gobi desert that's there, which is not what you think of a desert. It's like a very high plateau and, uh, and, and very unforgiving terrain. That'd be very difficult to get your ships across though. I suppose not impossible, (laughs) but, uh, but you'd have to be really hardy to make that journey. And then, you know, basically directly South, East at that point, <laughs> sailing what six, seven thousand miles from you know so, somewhere where uh, you know what anyone has played risk. I guess Campuchia would be <laughs> down down to uh, you know the the other side of the you know the of of you know Baja Mexico. Yeah, so there are a lot of theories as to you know is this a myth that never happened. Is this a description of a historical event of early Europeans, um, maybe, you know, English pirates from the early 1600s? It could have myth that was only 150 years old that passed through six or seven generations, or it could have been something much older. It's very, very hard to tell. I think, you know, so, there's, there's another explanation. I don't mean to interrupt, but it just came to me. that it, yeah. it could it could be, you know, a Viking colony from much earlier who made its way across the United States or Viking-esque, Russo-Viking-esque people who, you know, Northern Europeans who crossed the Bering Strait and made their way southwards and they built their ships, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, San Diego-ish or whatever, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, and then made that trip. I mean, I... I would think there'd be archaeological evidence of that or whatever, but it's a f- fun little theory. But, uh, I, I, you know, it, the, the mystery is probably, you know, just as much fun. I mean, I'm sure someone out there is yelling at me, it's Lemuria, it's the Phoenicians, it's it's the... I've actually had someone tell me it's the Minoans, but the, the, the Minoans actually made it that far. I'm like, uh, I, I wasn't aware that the Minoans made it out of the Mediterranean, but they swear to me that the Minoans made it to... Uh, in Indonesia or, or, or Malaysia, so, so somewhere really far away where the Minoans shouldn't meet, but it would make it to like the, the you know, sort of Oceania, uh, Southeast Asia, where, you know, the islands and the mainland sort of meet. Yeah, so um, this is, it's a big mystery, 
We are going to die out here. Someone will find us soon. We're lost, we're out of food and water, and our phones are dead. Well, I've got 5% left, but I'm saving it for wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club. Are you kidding me? No, it's their three-day event where you save up to 65% on appliances, tech, furniture, and outdoor products. But I should probably call for help. Wait, do they have air fryers? Save up to 65% during wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club July 10th through the 12th. Visit bj's.com slash wowdays for details. BJ's, absurdly simple savings. Man, people have theorized that Vikings made it to Mexico, but just not on the Pacific side. There's a story about of someone of someone in the Maya area called Votan, which is very close to Woden. I did a mm-hmm. show on this very early on in my channel, and I don't know. I mean, the Viking connection on the Atlantic side to me is more plausible, and I think Votan is. Um, is a historical figure who showed up in the Maya area around eight or nine hundred AD. Um, that's a possibility. But Voltan is the adventurer, really pressing it and skirting around Florida, skirting Cuba, and then making it to the Yucatan. I think that's possible. But then, how did if we look at Vikings, how the heck did they get to the Pacific? Yeah, so um, I don't know, but. It, it really is interesting that Tiburon Island story, uh, we may never know what what that was all about. Well, Votan is the like the what we would call now Russian, you know, and then and, and, you know, uh, sort of uh, not you know, Estonian, Lithuanian, Pole, that part of the world that that was their version of Woden who turned into Odin. I mean, the V and the W, you know, interchange. I mean, you, you, you see a place in, you know, uh, Romania and you call it Wallachia, but it's pronounced Wallachia, uh, you know, so, and, uh, I, I <laughs> this is a silly Jeff story, but I, I, I once was going to Volvo to shop for, uh, a car and, and, and the salesman was Russian and he kept saying, whoa, whoa. Um, and I, you know, and I, you know, just couldn't understand in my head why you can say Vladimir, but you can't say Volvo, and it's it's just one of those things. Anyway, I left I left the I left the place when I said, "What's your best price?" And he, you know, did one of those things where you write it on the cocktail napkin, and then I'm supposed to turn it over. And the price he wrote was the exact same price on the sticker on the car on the thing. I'm like, right. I'm like, all right, I I I've had it. I I can see this is going nowhere. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, enough for. From that aside, yeah, yeah, getting getting from the Atlantic. I mean, you know, you could go with the Jeff Overland theory and and built their boats on the other side, but that that seems like like who is chasing them? Who is who is motivating them to leave the Atlantic side to go to the Pacific side? I mean, you know, that's not exactly what Vikings were known for. They're known for pillaging and and leaving back by ship. I mean, Viking is a verb. It's it's become a people, but it's a it's like Slavic. Slavic is a is a is a language group, not not. Not people, but it's become you know associated with people. Viking was basically to attack from the from the water and then leave, pillage, leave. That's that that's Viking. They were Danes, Northmen, Swedes, Russians, Germans, Frisians, yeah, you name it. Anyway, um, so that's but that's cool. That's 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 fun. Like I don't really have a horse in the race, but it's always fun to know that there actually are legends of of these you know people that don't belong in that part of the world being there. Um, what about this thing about I th- it's either Olmec or Toltec that, that these ruins were there. Nobody knows where they came from, but like they have carvings of faces, almost like Easter Island, but they, they, they're very, 
they're eth- very ethnically distinct, like from what you would consider to be, you know, clearly African, clearly European, clearly, you know, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be what you would consider the, the natives, the first nations folks of, of, Mexico or, or the first nations that they would, you know, and, and it would, but it was a mix like the, the, uh, like different features that they were, you know, not indigenous, whatever that means to that part of Mexico. Well, I think you're talking about the colossal stone heads of the Olmec. Yes. And those date back to, um, 3000 years ago in some cases. And the Olmecs are considered if we look at the chronology, they're considered the mother civilization of, of Mexico. So they predate the Maya, they pre- way predate the Aztecs and the Toltecs. And some of them say that, or some researchers say that the Olmecs kind of, the culture morphed into the Maya. And you can see there's, there's a transition there. You can see all of these civilizations blending into each other as time goes on you see that there's a continuity but these heads they're very interesting because a lot of people look at them and say look they look african wide noses big lips and so on but they also have bigger eyes that's something that people don't look at um so the the features are exaggerated and but let me say one thing about this. They may look African to people who haven't been to Mexico um, as frequently as I have. But if you look at the people who currently live in Veracruz, uh, the Gulf Coast of Mexico, they do have features like this. They do have wider noses, bigger lips. It may be a tropical thing. Yeah. Because if you look at people in Africa, they have these characteristics for a reason. Sure. Okay. And if you look at people in Southern, like Southeast Asian, they have similarly like wider noses and fuller lips. I, I, it could be a tropical adaptation. But there have been many tests done on locals. There, there is no African DNA. There's no cultural similarities. There is no, there are no linguistic similarities at all with Africa. But yet you have a lot of people, and I get them coming to my site quite often, saying that, you know, I, I call them, and other people call them the Afrocentrics, mm-hmm. who say that, you know, Africans are the originators of all civilizations on Earth. And you have some of this based in religion, based, you know, I had someone write in my comment section, literally, we was the Hebrews. So I've heard all that. That comes from that belief comes from the whole idea of, okay, if all humanity originated in Africa, and there's debate on that, okay, The out of Africa theory is a theory. Okay, we need to make that clear. So there is scientific debate on whether we all came from Africa. But if you take that and you look at that as something that's set in stone, we all came from Africa. So that means the first people were black. 
And if we're creating God's image, then God must also look black. And all of the old biblical people, they all must be black. And all of the civilizations that have, that were in existence in ancient times were all black African people. And that's where that whole line of thinking comes from. Yeah. And then they will cherry pick little things like these sculptures. And I always have to tell people who run me down hard on this, because <laughs> there are many people who do this. I say to them politely, please go down there. Go to Veracruz, go to these little villages that have people, the same people have been living there for thousands of years. Um, you know, it goes back to a French archaeologist in the 1850s. There was still in the 1800s this big mystery. Where did these pyramids come from? A lot of the ruins were yet unexcavated. You know, is there a connection with the old world? You know, where did these people come from? There was a French archaeologist, and I can't remember his name, who said, you guys, look at the look at the carve, the wall carvings, the paintings, the murals, the monuments. Now look at the people who live 10 miles away from these ruins. They look the same. The people who are living here now, their ancestors were the ones who built this stuff. So... You know, a lot of people don't know that because they haven't been down there. Right. And so, yeah. There's a lot in there, but I would say that that, that <laughs> it, it's it's just the it's just the Afrocentric equivalent of well, basically what I asked about earlier: white giants that that they were the, these great white heroes of old going all over the world, and because they're white, then that you know, so it, it, it's the same thing. I mean, I don't, you know. Uh, the out of Africa theory is a theory, and I know it's being you know challenged some with you know Southern Europe and and who knows what we'll find and in places in Asia and everything keeps getting older. But even assuming that the out of Africa theory is correct, and and it may well be for all we you know for all we know, the by the time people or yeah when they were when people were leaving in and there wasn't just one migration there were apparently two different great migrations but i'm sure i'm sure they were lesser migrations sort of constantly throughout uh there wasn't really the differentiation between race and the climate in that part of the world was very different i mean you, you just going from biblical stuff and in what we now consider the mostly arid middle east you know, there were hippopotamus. I mean, all the Egyptian gods. You got hippopotamus. You got uh, crocodiles. You got, you know, all, you know, you had you have lions and you know Hercules r wrestled a lion in Greek. There's no lions in Greek. They're they're you know, uh, seven hundred miles south or whatever. But not then. The climate was different. There were lions all over the place. The climate were different. So even the 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 environmental conditions that that you mentioned earlier may not have been the environmental conditions then it, you it might have been a whole entirely different type of looking human at the time that said i don't really you know whatever it is i mean i do care i'm i'm, I'm interested and curious i just i don't have a horse in the race and i don't have any information to settle it but i think what you're saying is that when people are looking at the Olmec colossal heads, that they're looking they're seeing what they want maybe with ignorant eyes and i don't mean ignorant eyes in that you're stupid. I mean, you just don't have all the information. You see, you you're looking at literally a face right, and you're saying, "Oh, well, that looks like a guy from Africa." Uh, so it must be African. Um, you know, oh, that looks like somebody who looks like who looks European, and there were no Europeans here. 
Well, you know, maybe look around where you are. You're not looking around the obvious that down the coast there's there's people who have the African features, and you know, thirty miles inland there's you you people who have you know what you would consider you know, aquiline European features or whatever. And you know, it just it just might have been images of of certain prominent leaders, you know, within a two hundred mile radius or whatever. Yeah, you know, and people are. People still don't know why those heads exist. But here's an interesting thing that, I mean, this may be kind of out there, but here is a theory that I'm tossing around. If you look at these heads, they all have helmets on. And see, that plays into the ancient astronaut people. But they have this headgear. I'm sorry. I'm listening. (laughs) They have this headgear on. But the headgear is for the Mesoamerican ball game. Now, that is the oldest team sport on the planet. It goes back three to 4,000 years, long before basketball, right? It, it's a, a, a game similar to basketball and soccer and, you know, two opposing teams. Could these colossal stone heads be the stars of the ball game? Could it be that simple? Well, if I mean, people are people, oh, they're gods, they're you know this and that, and they're you know a king or whatever. Well, why not? Why is it? Why couldn't it be a Charles Barkley or a Larry Bird? You know, from that time period, they sports figures. You know, going back to gladiators. There, there are some famous people, and they're adored by the commoners. And so, why not? Right. Why can't these be monuments to sports stars? I mean, what is sports other than a kinder, gentler, uh, you know, simulation of a type of war between regions? Or you know, I mean, so sure, yeah, we we have sports heroes now. The gladiators were sports heroes, yeah. Okay. Well, right. Well, but, the, the, know, the Olympics the, in Greece. The, the, Right. And then the, the serious academic PhD, multiple PhD archaeologists or whatever, well, they must be, must be ceremonial and, you know, and all of this. And it's no, uh, let's just broaden the way we think about things and, you know, not be so academic. It doesn't have to be a god or, you know, some ruler who imposed his will by putting his head, you know, in a certain place. It could be something a lot different, you know. Okay. Uh, so. Fair enough. Um, all right. <laughs> so, so, some other giants in the, in Fair Mexico. You know, there are little stories here and there of you know giant people um, popping up. Like I said, individuals or you know myths like this Tiburon Island thing. What about the but, cuckoo? Uh, isn't like the isn't there versions of the cuckoo, the the like the boogeyman that in sometimes is a, is a giant? The cuckooey. Cuckoo, yeah. sorry. He's he's usually a smaller um, smaller entity, but I guess that is one that is one myth that can take many shapes and forms. So yeah, it can be big. Okay, but. Um, yeah, you really have to delve into local, local folklore. That Tiburon Island example was one 
you know, kind of detailed example I gave. But yeah, there are others um, throughout Mexico. Are there any that particularly really should be? Let me tell you this: they mm-hmm. really should be investigated deeper. And I've only scratched the surface on this stuff. If you gave me an assignment, let's say, if you said, if you said to me, Robert, go out and find some giant stories and come back to me in a year, I could probably gather up like five or six really, really detailed stories from specific geographical areas. Let me stop you, Robert. Like I said, there's a lot. Let me I'm stop sorry. you. Let me stop you. I just got a really great idea. Robert, okay. why don't you go investigate some giant stories and come back to me in a year? <laughs> okay, well, hey, like I said, there's never, ever going to be um, a day where I wake up and say, oh, there's no more material for Mexico unexplained. I better stop my podcast and my YouTube channel. I better stop writing books. So, you know what? Let's do it. All right. Um, Good. A year from now, let's get back and over the course of the year, I'll have like 50 shows, you know, 50 new shows, and I'll make it a point to look into some of these giant myths a little deeper and find some new ones. Very cool. And that'll be good. All right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to monsters then. And monsters is a very, well, using its broadest term that, you know, one monster can be a hero. Monsters, creatures, legends, myths, folklore, sort of that kind of thing. But, you know, uh, you know, again, you can divide up regionally or, or by tribe or, you know, chronology, however you think is, is best to, or just what you think is most fun or the ones that you have the, the most expertise in. Okay. We can fold in the giants into the creatures okay in a seamless transition nice most people are unaware of bigfoot in mexico and i think we might have touched upon this on our last show but there are two bigfoot creatures in mexico one is kind of skinny and shy and he lives in the jungles of southern and eastern mexico and he's called the sisamite and the, the ancient Maya believed him to be a cryptid, a, a, a real creep, flesh and blood creature like a deer or, a, or um, you know, a peccary or anything living in the, the jungle. He's very shy and very skinny, okay? So it's interesting that he has an Aztec name, though. Even the Maya and Aztec were separated by geography and by time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was given an, an Aztec name, I believe, in colonial times, because the Aztec language Nahuatl was the lingua franca throughout Mexico for many years, even after the Spanish came, because a lot of tribes who were not um, Aztec speaking, but were under the domination of the Aztecs were using that language. So we have Sisimite, which comes from the Aztec word Zitzimitl, which means demon. Ooh. But that is interesting because the Maya didn't believe that this was a demon. So it got that bad moniker centuries after the, the Maya civilization collapsed, which is interesting. And so there's, there's one modern case, I think the first case of the Sisimite 
um, ever being spoken about was in the, you know, the modern press was in the late 1800s, I believe there was a French Canadian acrobat or some circus performer who was part of a show in South uh, Eastern Mexico. And he was in a tent and the Sisamita came and opened the tent while he was sleeping. And here was this shaggy humanoid who was standing in front of, you know, at the foot of his bed. And so that made the press in the English uh, speaking world for the very first time. But, okay, so that is the shy Bigfoot who stands maybe six feet tall and is very skinny. Mm -hmm. Then you have another Bigfoot creature called the Quatlacus. And the Quatlacus is more like the Patterson-Gimlin film Bigfoot, you know, seven feet tall, 400 pounds, you know, this buff, burly Bigfoot. And most people, when they think of Mexico, they think of Clint Eastwood movies and dusty towns and things like that. But there are three or four glaciers in Mexico, permanent snow and ice pack that never melts. So that's the definition of a glacier. And there are people who are trained in mountain rescue in Switzerland, in the Alps, who, you know, are Mexicans who are park rangers who are stationed on these mountains. And they've seen creatures like your typical, stereotypical North American Bigfoot. And it has a local name called the Quatlacas. And it's found in these higher mountains that have alpine conditions and also in some of the vast pine forests that exist in Mexico, in central Mexico. And like I said, most people don't associate glaciers or big pine forests with Mexico. But in the state of Puebla, in the northern part of that state, it was only into the 1850s when outsiders went into these secluded pine valleys and mountains for the very first time. And that's when, you know, researchers believe that the Quatlacus's territory was really being challenged. Before then, there were some native excursions into these areas, and that's where we get the name Quatlacus from. But it was only until um, less than 200 years ago that you had actual people going in to these areas on a more permanent basis to do logging and and things like that. And the sightings are getting more and more frequent as, I guess, the habitat of the Quatlacus becomes encircled and more pressure is being put on its territory. So, you know, once again, what is this? It's a question that I always ask of of anything. And then in the Bigfoot camp in North America, in the U.S. and Canada, you have different divisions. Is it a real flesh and blood creature? Is it extraterrestrial? Is it a ghost-like creature or whatever? And there are people down there who, who are split up into these different 
segments of the Bigfoot camp too. They don't yes. know, is it a spiritual being? The, the native people there believe that it has all of those characteristics. It's all of the above. It's flesh and blood. It can, uh, you know, jump through dimensional portholes. It can, you know, do this and that and the other thing. So it's a magical cryptid, I guess, to mm. a lot of people. But um, it's interesting to note, uh, you know, that Bigfoot exists in Mexico because a lot of people would never associate that creature with the country of Mexico. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about Bigfoot. We'll just use that. But there's a, there's, you know, there is a Bigfoot type creature pretty much everywhere. I mean, the only one we don't know of is Antarctica, and then you know, and, and who knows that that they may come. But you know, you've got your Yetis, you got your Yurin, Sasquatch, obviously, uh, Bigfoot. You just gave us two. Uh, you know, my my fiance is from Ecuador, and she's said that they have the, the you know the, the ape man the orange ape man um wow. in australia the yowie uh i talked to george mitrovic recently uh, he, he was on the show and and apparently there were sightings of a bigfoot like creature in maryland i live in maryland i've never heard this and you know in you know obviously it would have been within the last 400 years but i think it was within the last 300 years and two two different places they call them the yowie which you know probably wasn't some guy getting scared and saying, yowie, uh, it, mm -hmm. you know, it might have come from, you know, maybe it was the the uh, the indigenous tribes here, you know, maybe that was their word for it or their name. I, I you know, I don't know. But everywhere there's, you talk to anyone, there's, you know, there's from any, from any part of the world, there's going to be some Bigfoot legend, you know, whether it's a collective memory of Neanderthals or the Dragon Man or, you know, the, you know, a, a giant ape or, uh, you know, or whether it actually still exists now and it's just speciated or just different animals entirely that, you know, just like a leopard looks like a jaguar, looks a little bit like a tiger, looks like a lion, but they're not exactly the same thing. I mean, you know, there's no reason the same thing couldn't exist in, in primate world either. Um, so uh, anyway, all, all of that is to say that uh, Bigfoot's one of those sort of collective memories, encounters, experiences. It's a sort of like one of those global uh, paranormal repeating phenomena. And so what does that mean? I mean, you would think, I mean, it could mean two things. It could be the, the, the June, you know, the Carl Jung thing where, you know, we, we all, you know, collectively we have the same archetypes in our head that we know or we fear, or, you know, it ain't that hard to, to, to picture a bigger version of ourselves. And if you've ever seen a bear or a gorilla that, you know, that, that maybe you make it a little scarier, like, you know, Mr. Hyde, uh, um, or, that it's real. That, that, that there's that the they the they or it is real. The plural or singular in in species. Um, so the, those those are the two possibilities. Uh, you know, I, I you know I it'd be far more fun to, to go with the real part. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's a little bit disconcerting that nowhere anywhere seems to have a body or stumbled upon you know even a we find burial sites for humans we haven't we haven't found burial sites or you know the remains or bones or whatever and then of course other people say sure we have they're just covered up or we must we we must mistook it for the bones of a megalithopus or a, or, or a you know a big human I, I you know i don't know you probably know better or there's than a bigfoot graveyard 
where they all go to, you know, like the elephant graveyard. <laughs> a, glo- a global I, one. <laughs> yeah, right. But see, then with those people who believe that, I would say, or I would ask, well, what Bigfoot doesn't succumb to accidents? Because you could be hunting, you know, on the side of a mountain, then you slip and fall and kill yourself. Right. So that Bigfoot wouldn't be able to get to the mythical Bigfoot graveyard. So. Right. And then oh. someone else said to me, well, his bones turned to dust. Well, oh, great. That's a convenient little thing. Then, yeah, big, you know? Bigfoot vampire. Well, that, that, that would be a unique trait in, in, in you know, <laughs> any, any biological other animal that we're aware of, other than a vampire when it gets hit by the sun, you know, gets staked in the heart. So... Yeah, um, I don't think we're doing a very good job about selling the Bigfoot. Um, what 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 other myths and monsters do we have other than the, the Mexican big feet? Since there seems to be two, uh, one gentle giant and one yeah, maybe also a gentle giant, but uh, a little bit scarier. You don't want to cross him or her, right? I don't know. On the last show, if we talked about the the Chilawalpuchi, the vampire witch. That sucks the blood of little kids. Did we talk about that? I don't know. I, I think I would remember a Tuala. Anything that ends with Poochie or whatever. It, it <laughs> sounds, sounds like something my 15-year-old brain would remember. Um, but, that, I mean, that's also an archetype, sort of the, the, the witch, the, the evil woman who's, you know, preying on kids, you know, going as far back as, you know, harpies and, yes, I'm sorry, audience, Lilith and, you know, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm always babbling about <laughs> Lilith. Um so yeah, the yeah. Tell us about her, just in case. I mean, who, who cares? It's fun. You can hear things more than once. Okay. Well, the Tlawapuchi is a vampire witch that goes back to time immemorial. Some people think four, five thousand years. It's hard to tell. But um, what happened in the nineteen fifties? There was a functionary, a, an office worker in the government of Tlaxcala, which is a small state in central Mexico, the state of Tlaxcala. And he was in Tlaxcala City processing death forms, death reports. And he was noticing cause of death on some of these death reports for infants. It said, chupado por la bruja. (laughs) Now, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you if I've said all this before but chupado por la bruja means sucked by a witch so this enterprising this go-getting young government worker um, if there is such a thing i don't know sorry no but <laughs> this go-getting young you know whippersnapper in the office he said he he went to his superiors and said what is this chupado por la bruja There were all of these death certificates and cause of death was sucked by witch. And they were all in these little remote villages in this state. Nobody in the city, you know, no one in that office who were were all city people. They had no idea what was going on. (laughs) So then they sent investigators to these villages and then they heard the story. Now, if you talk to people in Mexico today and ask them what a Tlawalpuchi is, most people will not even know what that is. Now, I I can just see some Mexican-American listeners saying, no, my grandma never told me anything about that. Well, 
it's only because it's not only regional in this state, it's not only specific to the state of Tlaxcala, it's regional within this tiny state. It's like saying, well, it's a legend in Connecticut, but only in, you know, three little towns in Connecticut, and that's it. So, and then you call that an American legend? Well, no, it's in a small state, in a small region of the state. So the Tlawilpuchi, they found out, what is this Tlawilpuchi? It's like the Mossman. The, Mo- Moth- the Mossman is only in that one town in West Virginia. Right, yeah. So, um, anyway, so the, the Tlawilpuchi, what is it? So they went down, they investigated all this stuff and said, okay, tell us what this is. And it's a witch who takes off her leg, usually takes off an appendage, a leg or an arm. And there are other versions of this in Mexico beyond Tlaxcala, where a witch has to take off a hand or some appendage in order to transform herself. But this specific story, she takes off a leg and then turns into some sort of creature. She usually flies out the window and it's basically a shapeshift witch, a human woman who shapeshifts and how she gets into the house will determine what she turns into. So if your house is pretty closed up, she'll turn into a flea and go through the keyhole of the, the front door or something like that, or a crack in the window. And then when she gets to the baby's room, she reappears, reconstitutes herself, and then goes after the baby, and then sucks all the blood out of the baby, and then leaves. And then so the parents come into the bedroom, and they see the baby, um, you know, pale and just dead in the crib. And then they say, okay, well, the Tlawilpuche must have come in the night. And then they put that on the death certificate. And um, so that's how this this legend came to be known outside this little region. So, um, yeah, and anthropologists, other researchers have gone down there, and they say that this goes back to way before the Aztecs. It's a, it's a legend that could be 4,000 years old. Has there ever been anyone to look at this mystery in a modern way and have identified you know, a localized disease or illness, or maybe just something that was being misdiagnosed and called this, uh, that, that, that is, you know, exists other than this town, maybe all through Mexico, maybe all through the world, or is, have they not been able to, like, is it sudden, you know, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, or is it something completely different and, you know, blood sucking, which is as good, you know, is as likely as anything else because they, because modern science hasn't figured it out. Well, after they did their investigation, all that the health authorities in Tlaxcala City told these people in the rural areas to do is quit writing that down on the reports. They didn't, they didn't do anything to investigate the real cause of the, de- of the deaths of these kids. And so to, even to this day, you know, 70 years later, it's still a mystery. Now, I guess they put down, you know, sudden infant, infant death syndrome or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are people who still, you know, staunchly believe 
that these creatures exist. And that's what's killing the kids. So even though they're forced to write something else down in the forms, there's the belief that's still there. That is quite a story. Um, I have heard other witch stories from Mexico. Uh, is it is La Llorona a witch or uh, more of a ghost? Well, it's a ghost witch. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of a blend of the two. And I have personal experience with the La Llorona. I don't know if we talked about that last time. I tell the story every time I get on a show. Uh-huh. So, well, personal experience with the La Llorona also merits repeating. Okay. All right. So, I grew up in New Mexico, the state of New Mexico. For your foreign listeners, New Mexico is the 47th state of the United States. It entered the Union in 1912, so it's a pretty new state compared to the other states. So there's a long Hispanic tradition in Mexico. The The legend of La Llorona goes throughout the former Spanish Americas, and that includes the northern part of, of what used to be Spain's empire in the New World, which is New Mexico and southern Colorado. So there's a legend that a woman, she's usually described as being very beautiful, and she married a, you know, a handsome man who is in the military, usually the story goes. And he's away a lot. And there are rumors saying that he's cheating on this woman. And so she's distraught and wants to give back at him. It takes her two kids down to the river and drowns the kids. And so... While she's throwing the kids into the water and they're screaming for help, she has a change of heart, but she can't do anything to rescue her kids. It's too late. So the kids drown, and then the story goes, she's still looking for her kids. And if you're a little kid and you're walking around um, a dry creek bed, as we would say in New Mexico, arroyo, or the gringo version, arroya, Okay, so if you're walking down an arroyo, you could be, uh, you could come into contact with this creepy, you know, woman who wants to snatch you, okay, and take you away. Now, that could be a cautionary tale, right? You don't Mm -hmm. want your, I mean, I don't know if you've had any experience with um, dry creek beds in the southwest, but it could be raining 10 miles away and it could be totally hot and dry where you are. And then you could be in an arroyo and this has happened to me. And all of a sudden you see this wall of water just coming down the, the dry creek bed. So the, the Yorona story could be told to kids who keep them away from these ditches and, you know, so to save them from the, the rushing water. There's another story, too, like it's called La Mano Pachona, the furry hand. And it's this big hand, this big disembodied hand that comes out of the sky and it's furry and it grabs you if you wander away from home too far. So, you know, don't go far. The Mano Pachona is going to go get you. So it could be the same sort of thing. Okay. It could also be that so, interdimensional Bigfoot that the, the, you only see the hand, though, coming out of the portal. <laughs> right. 
I was thinking of some Star Trek episode where the the ship was being held by this pig. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> but anyway, my connection to La Llorona. Okay, so New Mexico is very poor, right? So we were going to teacher's house for a swim party like the last few weeks of school. And because there was no money for school buses, we had to take a couple city buses to get to teacher's house. She lived in the South Valley. We were in the Northeast Heights of Albuquerque. So we took the city buses and there were two buses that were far apart. We had to cross an arroyo on a bridge and we were walking across the arroyo, all these kids, there were 20 of us, let's say. And then one guy said, look, it's the Yorona. And then we all looked down and I'll be damned. There was a old lady dressed in black, an old Spanish lady, and she was crawling out of the arroyo. It was a dirt arroyo. So she was crawling, um, on the edge, on the, you know, trying to get out of the Arroyo. She was going up the banks of the Arroyo. And we saw that, and all of us looked, and we were like, ah! And we took off, and we were laughing. I've never laughed so hard, running so hard, and laughing so hard at the same time, because we were all in a state of disbelief. And some people, when I tell this story, it's very interesting. I was on the show of a of a medium, you know, very spiritual person who was like Tangina from the Poltergeist movies. And she said, it's because the spirit of the Arona sensed that there were children nearby. And I was like, well, maybe that was, I mean, if you, in the context of the legend, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. And then I told it to some other guy. He was like, ah, that was just some old lady who was just dumping stuff, you know, illegally. <laughs> dumping stuff in the Arona illegally. No, it wasn't the Arona. And so, yeah, that was my connection to that. But it gets weirder, my connection to the Arona. That's not it. It's going to have to. Forward, fast forward to my adult years. Okay, there we go. And there's the movie that's out about the Yorona, okay? And I said, I've got to go see this movie. I've got to go see it. First day, I'm there. So I go, and I'm sitting in the theater, and I'm looking at this movie, and I'm seeing on the screen merchandise from my business in the movie. And I was like, wait a minute, that's a design that I only carry. That's specifically made for me, for my business to sell. What is this doing in the movie? You know? And then I remembered a year before I sold a bunch of merchandise to the prop master of a film, it, you know, with a Los Angeles address. I had to address it to a prop master. In the film, it said working title, The Children. Okay, so I guess they were keeping it under wraps. Mm -hmm. But in like four different scenes, when I'm sitting there, in the theater, I'm seeing merchandise that I sold these people unknowingly. And so it's like the Verona, the, the whole, the loop was closed. And I, it was the freakiest thing, let me tell you. 
Okay, so what we're missing, though, is that you looked around the theater and you saw the same woman <laughs> looking at you. Now, you know, I wish you would have been there with me because then you could have stuck around the theater because <laughs> I didn't do that. Who knows? She could have been very bad. That's right. Maybe, maybe, she's, maybe she hasn't given up on your soul yet. All right. Well, we, we've gone with two monster women with similar uh, uh, strategies. Anyway, uh, we have there's any? More, though. Oh, there's more. Okay. Huh? Well, let, let's let's no, do. Well, there's not more about the Yorona, but I have to tell you the story of the Lechuza. Oh. If I haven't told you that before, That's it's That's another it. witch story, and I'm inclined to believe that part of the Lechuza story is real. I think it's being used to describe a real cryptid. And I only say that because the show that I did about this years ago, it generated a lot of interest, and the comments section of this show is absolutely fascinating. People, I, that's why I love doing YouTube and opening up the comments section. I'm not one of those people who say, oh, well, I better close the comments because I just can't handle what people will say. No, I love it because people share their experiences. And so the Lechusa, it's a gigantic owl. Okay, that's the cryptid part of it. Does a really large owl exist? Possibly. Okay, the habitat's there. Once again, Mexico is not some dusty little you know, sleepy little place, and it's also not a megalopolis, you know, Mexico City. There's a lot of empty land in that country where it, the, the empty land can serve as a habitat for a creature like this. The high mountains, a lot of unexplored areas. But the legend goes like this. The Llorona is a witch, a female, a woman, who is marginalized and she lives at the edge, edge of town, you know, whatever. And, you know, she turns to the dark arts because she just doesn't fit in, you know. Right. And that, I think, is a typical story found throughout other cultures, too. And so what she does is then she turns into a gigantic owl and then goes and kills people and livestock and wants to get your kid and all of that stuff. And she'll be outside your house doing a whistle she'll whistle to try to get your attention and then you know she'll lure you out of your kid out and then come down and and it's she has in the owl form she has like a a 10 foot wingspan and um if you kill the lechusa while it's still an owl it will turn into the female form once it's dead like and a werewolf their weight yeah exactly and there are ways that you can ward off the lechuza you can um someone said to me you should you should sell a a lechuza prevention kit in your business and your you know your imports all it is it's a a cord a rope that you put like four or five knots in and then you say a prayer and then you hang it on the side of your front door. And that's supposed to keep away the Lechusa. But this could be a story that was invented to explain a real animal. Because 
if you go to my YouTube channel and you look at those comments, they're absolutely amazing because people have written like crazy amounts of verbiage with their stories. And it seems like the sighting of this gigantic owl happens along the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. That's huge. And then other parts of the Southwest. But this is a this is mostly a legend of northern Mexico. So I'm thinking if this were a real animal, the habitat or the range of the animal would extend from southern Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, all the way across the states of Tamaulipas, Coahuila, and Chihuahua in northern Mexico. And that would take in some very remote territory, the high Sierras of the those areas and deserts and things like that where people just don't go to. Mm. So it could be a real animal. I don't know. I was invited to go on a Lechusa hunting expedition by somebody who lives outside of Rio Grande City in southern Texas, and I haven't taken them up on that yet. Well, you've already had a close call with La Llorona. I don't know if you want to risk this too, but you <laughs> sort of... I think you sort of have to, though. I mean, you know, I think you, I think you have a, a Indiana Jones-like obligation to do it. But what, what else we have? We got, we have anything like a, a big teeth and and scary and and not not just hunting children, but but hunting you know adults. Yeah, well, you, we have a very very old legend called the Nawal. And that goes back three or 4,000 years. And they know it goes back that long because they can see in bark paintings, in murals, in, you know, codexes and things like that. They see in the artwork uh, visual representations of this creature. And what it is, it's a snarling, life-size creature that is part feline, part canine. Okay, like and, it. Um, it's a male, a sorcerer, a warlock, whatever, who turns himself into this and causes mayhem or whatever, usually at night, and then shapeshifts back down into his human form when, you know, the, the sun rises. And so this is a legend that goes way, way back. It's been kind of co-opted by Carlos Castaneda and those new age Toltec people who, I don't know, it's, they've co-opted this legend and say, you have an inner Nawal, you know, it's a part of your personality. It's not, that's not what the legend is. That's some new age kind of, um, twerking of tweaking, twerking, tweaking of the legend that happened in the late sixties. And so people are confused as to what that means, but, it goes back to this really old legend of this, this creature that someone shapeshifts into. What aspects? What aspects are feline and what aspects are canine? Well, um, it has whiskers, and the claws look very feline, and then but the face looks like a dog. Okay. So, yeah. And then the body looks very dog-like. So it has like cat's claws and whiskers. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to it wonder. Has, like, ears like a cat. Yeah, because I'm trying to wonder if there's a if it harkens back to something like a 
hyena, which you know, so, you know, sort of could be that, or the Tasmanian devil, which is uh, a, 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 or the Tasmanian tiger, which is actually a dog that people thought looked like a cat. Maybe at some point it wasn't just in Tasmania, or even like the cheetah, which you know is obviously a cat but makes it sound like a dog. And, you know. Like, like that, you know, and it's got the concave right. uh, rib cage, you know, stomach, which is a, a canine feature where cats that, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're flat, you know, they're, uh, they're straight across, they're horizontal across uh, on their underside where dogs, they're not, that goes concave where the rib cage, you know, stops protecting the organs. Um, I don't know, it, uh, that, that is interesting. It does, what, what does, I'm sorry, what, it, la, la, what was it called again? The Nawal. N-A-G-U-A-L. N-A-G-U-A-L. Yeah, Nawal. Nawal. Sometimes it's spelled with an H. Yeah, so that's a very, very old creature. What's it eat? What's it, what's it hunting? It eats people. Excellent. And, well, anything, I guess, but people can be the prey. But it's a, but it's a skinwalker, though. It's a shapeshifter that's going yeah, in there. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's very similar to a skinwalker. Yeah, that's like, yeah. And I'm sure there are other examples of that sort of thing in other cultures, too, which, you know, is it Jungian, like you were saying? You know, is it some archetypal thing in the, in the recesses of our minds or, you know, what is all of this stuff? Not man turning into beast. I mean, you know, and, you know, very similar to a werewolf, but, uh, you know, not just not with not with the moon, you know, uh, uh, which. You know, I'm sure there's something to that as well. Um, I actually once tied it to like the devil dogs. They would they would guard uh, the uh, tombs. Uh, you know, sort of in I think it was in England or, or anyway the UK, Great Britain. You know, the, the, and the person I spoke to said, "Yeah, actually, a lot of people can you know tie the werewolf legend to the to the devil dog." And I'm like, "Oh, cool." Or at least this particular type of devil dog. Um, all right, I think we have time for one more. So, like, is there like a dragon or like a hydra or like a giant sea monster, like a, a leviathan kind of thing? Godzilla? Well, in the Sea of Cortez, where Tiburon Island is, there is a legend called the Demonio, the legend of the Demonio Negro. Okay. The, bl- the Black Demon. Like it? Now, on another show... I was tasked with going to see a movie that went out, uh, that came out a couple months ago in the spring of 2023 called The Black Demon. Okay. And it's about this shark. It's a gigantic shark that supposedly lives in the Sea of Cortez, like a megalodon. Mm -hmm. And it goes back. It's not a legend that goes way, way back into prehistory. But it has some aspects of, you know, um, the whole Leviathan and all of that stuff, this gigantic creature that comes out and kills people and and all of that stuff. That's a more modern legend. But as far as others seek, and the movie was terrible, by the way. It was (laughs) was absolutely awful. And we had to cancel our show on that movie because I told the guy, I said, there's really nothing to talk about about this film and how it relates to the legend. But um, yeah, the movie was terrible. There was a lot of agenda driven messages in there too, you know. What's to um, say it's I, not a megalodon? 
Yeah. Besides you the color, know. it's just it just happens to be darker. Yeah, or it could be some other creature. Sure. Or it could just be a legend. You know, it could be. Um, no, we don't want that. These, we want we yeah, want we right. we want the we want one of the first two. Well, you know what? There, there's an alternative. There's sometimes these legends, or you know, even UFO sightings that happen in Mexico. There's another motive behind some of this stuff. It's to try to get tourists or people interested to go to these places. And then they can make money. The locals can sell churros or, or balloons or, or cheap plastic stuff. And, you know, they can have this little carnival atmosphere. And it, mm-hmm. it's happened so many times. I've even partaken in some of it. You well, know, you don't waste a good monster. These places where they have this stuff. And, you know, some of it is that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this black demon shark. Um, that could be part of it. They want people to be curious enough to go there. In the movie, they said it goes back in deep into prehistory and blah, blah, blah. We're not treating the earth right. And so this is now um, waking up and, you know, these big creatures are coming out of the sea because we're not being good stewards of the planet and all of that stuff. It's Godzilla. Um, Yeah, basically, yeah. Well, there there are the orcas is, that are like harassing like fishing vessels now, which I, I I'm all team orca, I, you know, obviously. So uh, you know, maybe it's spreading, maybe and like these and like there's like the behaviors are being taught, so like they're teaching that to each other. Well, you know, I don't know, but um, all I know is that there's scant little evidence for this creature. It's a popular myth. And the movie was terrible, and I do not recommend it. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> any any griffins or hypogriffs or you know? I think you were going to go into another sea monster. Jeez, you know, there's not a whole lot like that. There's there are a lot of like mammal type land based creatures. You know, we've talked about a few of them. And what about like the firebird? Like the Thunderbird, fly the Thunderbird, Firebird. Isn't isn't there something like that? Uh, it's... Well, there have been some sightings of gigantic birds beyond the Lachusa that we talked about, the the gigantic owl, and some people. There was in northern Mexico in Chihuahua. There were sightings in the early two thousands, like two thousand four, two thousand five, of a creature that they were calling the Guadalupe witch. They were also calling it the the man bat. It supposedly tore the roof off of a police car. Um, that was some scary stuff because there were some eyewitnesses about that. And what they were describing was pretty much like a Thunderbird, you know, this gigantic dark winged creature, you know, that wasn't an owl. So, um, you know, then people say, well, it was a, it's a gigantic, it's a giant condor, a California condor. There must be, you know, um, a population that's been cut off from California that's still um, alive in the northern Sierra Madres of Mexico. You know, there are all of these excla- explanations like that. But what would tear the roof off of a police car? A gargoyle. You know, yeah, well. And you know what? It's funny you use that word because the cop 
I believe, used that term for what he thought he saw, you know, leaving the vehicle or, you know, flying away. Which does so, not look like a condor. A condor looks like a giant but but prettier right. vulture. Right, exactly. And people were spotting this creature by the, the local cemetery, too. Now, that could be, you know, a mix of lore and, you know, maybe wishful thinking or whatever. I don't know. But um, the physical damage to that police car was real. So well, maybe they're coming to get you now. Yeah, that's funny. That's on cue, right? That's I, right. That's just a sound effect that I just press the button. No, it's, well, well, something's happening outside here. I don't know. Well, well done. Yeah, maybe it's a gargoyle attack. I'm, I'm, you know, gargoyles, demons, you know, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, archangels. I'm, I'm, I'm so deep into this. I'm attracting this stuff to me now. Oh, that's not going to be a good thing. Well, why your own is to, you know, stalking you in the movies, and it's just a matter of time before it <laughs> comes out of the screen and pulls you in like the ring. You'll be, you'll be stuck in there like that. All right, well, this is excellent. So we're going to reconvene in about a, about a year on Giants. That doesn't mean we won't reconvene uh, in the interim. Maybe we'll go through, uh, if your game, maybe uh, try to take some of the different cultures and maybe go through their mythologies, you know, their, their, their okay. different creation myths and stuff like that, if you're interested, if that's something you want awesome. to do. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, always, I'm always up to talk about this stuff. And as I've said several times, it's an inexhaustible you know amount of things there's so many things to talk about i could go on forever and ever and ever yeah every every people has stories and and then every people has different sects and spin-offs and denominations that have their own versions and twists on the stories or competing stories it's uh we're 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 very complicated we're all like shaft we're all very complicated um (laughs) anyway uh uh, any song that I should pick for this? Is there like a is there like a, a scary like Mexican witch Mexican monster song out there that that's not? Yes, uh, there is. Okay, what is it? Oh yes, there is. Yeah, La Llorona. Oh, like there's and there are some renditions of that song that are really scary. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll yeah. I'll do my little YouTube search and and try to find something. I mean, I was gonna go lazy with you know Mexican radio by Wall of Voodoo, but that's not really this is <laughs> this is not about Mexican radio. It's it's, it's so La Llorona, perfect. All right, everyone, Robert Beto. Robert, tell people where they can find you and where they can find your show, how they can watch you, where they can find you on YouTube, what the name of your, your books are, how they can buy it, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Well, the the name of my YouTube channel, my podcast is Mexico Unexplained. You can go to MexicoUnexplained.com, and that's like your one-stop shopping place for all the information. All of my shows are free. The transcripts are all free. The books are for sale on that uh, that site. You can get autographed copies from me, personalized copies too. And I have two books and a coloring book. I have a Mexican Monsters coloring book for the kids. Fun. And for adults who like to color too. <laughs> sure. And those are available at my website and also on Amazon. Amazon.com. You just go in and, you know, you can buy as many as you want. And um, like I mentioned during the show... I love getting comments on the YouTube channels, the YouTube show. So if you go to Mexico and explained on YouTube, um, if you feel like it, please leave comments. And 
If you have any suggestions for shows, if you're Mexican-American and you visited grandma in some remote part of Mexico and there was a story about a creature, I want to know about it. And I get a lot of really, get a lot of really good material from my listeners. So I really do appreciate that. So yeah, MexicoUnexplained.com, you can start there and everything is there really. Well, Homeboy88, if you're listening to the show, and you better be, uh, now you have some place to, to give some of your, your family heirlooms and stories about, uh, even though I'm not sure that you're, you're Mexican, but you, you claim to represent the entire uh, people of the entire Latino world order. Um, excellent. Hey, and if any of my listeners are Mexican-Mexican or Mexican-South American or Mexican-European or Mexican-African or Mexican-Asian, and you have stories like this for Robert, feel free to share them as well. Uh, Mexican-America, America's not the only place that has folks of Mexican descent. Uh, sometimes I think that we all forget that uh, people are very mobile. Um, anyway, uh, check out his stuff, and while you're checking out his stuff and liking, sharing, and subscribing to it, you can do the same for me. You can like, share, and subscribe my stuff, and you can give us both ratings and reviews, uh, and you can tell your friends and families. There's always somebody in your world who is interested in this kind of thing, and I bet there's more than one, and they, they just didn't know that you had the, the, this in common. So who knows? You could, you could be uh, forging uh, family ties and, and bridging... Uh, chasms and things like that so anyway thank you to robert thank you for listening and you'll hear from us next time in the garden of doom thanks jeff Cristo de fierro, llorona mi 
mis penas le conté yo a un santo Cristo de fierro llorona mis penas le conté yo cuáles no serían mis penas llorona el santo Cristo lloró cuáles no serían mis penas llorona que el santo Cristo lloró Yeah.